watching us online today, welcome, God bless you. If you're watching this as a recording, the same God that's here right now can be with you while you're watching or listening to this message. Ecclesiastes 8 and 8, there is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. And there's no discharge in that war, neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. God bless you. You may be seated. I have never ministered on this subject that I remember in my entire life. Uh, When I woke up this morning, these words were spoken into my spirit. The practicality of faith in God. Now, I know for a lot of people, they don't see any harmony or agreement between the concept of faith in God being practical uh, because they, they think you're automatically talking about religion. I, I, let me just say this before I get started. I have an affliction. That's not my opinion that I have an affliction. It's many people in this world believe it's an affliction. That affliction is I believe the Bible is literally true. I believe that it is the word of God. I believe that it is the final authority in our lives over everything. I do not believe it's just a book. It's not a book of stories. It is the word of God given to man. I believe that with everything in me. I have believed that essentially all of my life, but especially I believe that personally since February of 1965. I could take you to the bunk in my room on the 7th, the fourth deck, seventh floor of, uh, or the, the, they say it was the fourth deck, the seventh floor of the, of the seventh wing of the Naval Academy Bancroft Hall where the Lord and I settled this once and for all. And I have not wavered in that to this day. Praise God. I believe that. If you don't believe the Bible then this is going to be a difficult message for you to to hear. It's not hopeless. Because if you are willing to be an objective thinker, it's difficult to deny the Bible. If you're a prejudiced thinker, you don't even consider the possibilities. And I realize that, uh, again, in our culture today, people don't associate thinking with believing. But the word believing literally means to be convinced to the point of trust. That's the literal definition of the Greek word. To be convinced to the point of trust. To be convinced to the point of entrusting. Uh, 
I want to talk about some blind faith. Yeah, you guys are believing God or blind. No, no, this is blind faith. Blind faith says that there was an explosion. Which is, by definition, disorder. That created the most orderly thing in existence, the universe. There is literally <laughs> uh, let's just talk about our solar system for a moment. There is no disorder in our solar system. It's easy to prove. You are here and I am here. Any kind of disorder in our solar system would eliminate us. Even our planet moving a fraction of its position closer to the sun or farther away from the sun would change the temperatures on the earth to the point that it would not be possible to sustain human life. And it wouldn't take more than about a 1% change either direction. I, I, I've done this a few times. Maybe you've seen this, but this is such, this is so fun to do. Uh, I have an app here. Yes, at 77, I know how to use an app. I've said this a few times. It's always funny. You get a great look. You know, young people may know more about technology than I do, but I can afford to buy it. You can only lust for it. I got it. But according to my app, the sun's going to set this evening at 8.36. 8 th that's pretty precise, isn't it? It's, last light's going to be at 9.09. Tomorrow morning, first light's going to be at 5.10. And uh, sunrise is going to be at 5.42. Let's, uh, this app lets you do this. Let's do this. So let's look for September the 12th, which is the 53rd anniversary of this church. And see that on that day, this year, September the 12th, right here, sun is going to, first light's going to be at 618, sunrise is going to be at 645, sunsets at 721, last light's at 748. Oh, wait a minute. That's pretty precise, but let, this is what's really awesome. Let's see. Uh, anybody ever been to Paris? Okay, in Paris, on September the 12th, 2023, first light's going to be at 6.51, sunrise is going to be at 7.23, uh, sunset's going to be at 8.13, last light's going to be at 8.45. You can do that for any place in the world. You can do it for any day in the future, theoretically. How? How's it possible? How's it possible that you can come up with an app that'll tell you to the minute, first light, sunrise, sunset, last light 
of any day in the calendar going forward and any place on earth. How's that possible? Who's in charge of that? Who's in charge of that? Would you tell me which government there is that assures that the sun is going to come up and come down on this schedule? What, what government does that? What, what global corporation makes that happen? Whose currency pays the salary of the people that make that happen? And who is the one who has the authority to produce that kind of order in the universe? Do you know how much blind faith, because it's blind, it takes to believe that an explosion, which by definition is disorder, produced all of this absolutely perfect order? And it's blind faith. Well, preacher, you're a theologian. No, I'm not. I have a bachelor of science degree in engineering with a major in applied engineering mathematics from the Naval Academy. I'm not a theologian. Don't believe in it. I'm not an expert on the Bible. I'm a student of the Bible. I'm not trying to break it apart and prove why it's not true. The Lord's proven to me the, the veracity and the reliability of the book for 77 years. I have essentially given my whole life and demonstrated faith in the accuracy of this book. I didn't come here today to practice religion. In fact, because I believe in the Bible, I don't believe in religion. It's a simple search to do. If you don't have a Bible program on your phone or iPad or computer, you can go online and there are free Bible software uh, programs that you can access through your search engine. And you can do this short search and find that uh, <laughs> you'll find that the word religion, every time it's used in the Bible, is a word that Lord despises. In fact, the only time that the word religion is used in any kind of positive way is in James chapter 1, I think it is, maybe 2. Uh, pure religion and undefiled is this, that you visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. The only time the word religion is used, therefore, in a positive way, the Lord had to put a positive adjective with it so that we would know to take it positively. But a question is this. Do you know anybody that's practicing their religion by giving their lives to helping fatherless people and widows? If you're not, then your religion doesn't work if you're practicing religion. 
I'm not here, and I don't get up every morning to practice religion. I don't believe in religion. I believe in intimate, personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's what I practice every day. Relationship, not religion. Not even remotely close to the same thing. In fact, they could not be any more diametrically opposed. The concept behind relationship with Jesus versus the concept behind religion is completely different. They're not even similar in any way. Except that those that have a relationship with Jesus know the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who participate in religion, especially the Christian religion, they just use his name and likeness for their purposes. I mean, that's, that's tearing the college sports world up right now. Is name, image, and likeness. So they're now paying college athletes to use their name, image, and likeness to promote their products and everything else. And that's what religion does. It uses the name, image, and likeness of Jesus to justify everything that they're doing. That's not what I'm doing here. That's not why I get up in the morning. That's not what I give my life to. I give my life to a who, not a what. Because of this, I don't come to church to feel better. I don't come to church to be a better person. I come to church to fellowship with a body of believers that hopefully all also want to know the Lord Jesus Christ personally. Now, I'm going someplace. Just hang on. I'm a teacher. Sometimes my introductions last as long as some people's sermons. <laughs> There's some nervous folks here right now. <laughs> We're used to getting out at noon. We may be out at 1130. Or not. <laughs> Religion has a stopping time when it comes to church. Relationship with Jesus leaves it up to him. So, in your heart of hearts, you and Jesus know whether you're here practicing religion or want to have a relationship with Jesus. Because if you're, if you've come to church leaving, You don't know Jesus. <laughs> Coming to church is about fellowshipping with the Lord. It's about f- finding truth. Because truth is not a what. Truth is a who. A who. John fourteen six, please. Jesus said, I am the way. (laughs) The truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Numerous times Jesus said, come unto me. 
He never once said, time said, come to church. So when we come together as a church, if we're not coming to Jesus, we have no right to exist. We're a sham. And if I'm coming to church and I'm not coming to Jesus, then my religion is vain, worthless, empty, useless. Now, I'm not the pastor. You can breathe sively if you can just if you can just survive this day. You won't have to put up with me again till the next time. I have a question for you. If you were the eternal God, how would you deal with or relate to finite beings who think they are gods? And therefore choose to live in ignorance of you. I mean really. If you're, if you're the one that created all this. If you're the one. Who's in charge of all this. And. You created. Humans in your image. So that you could fellowship with them. He doesn't fellowship with stars and planets and moon. They don't have a choice but obey him. He doesn't fellowship with angels. They were created without a choice. And when one third of them chose one time to not follow him, they were kicked out of heaven. Because they weren't given a choice. And you and I, We're created uniquely because we're the only thing in God's universe that was created with a choice. Why? Because he didn't create us, create, create us first and foremost to obey him. He had the authority to do that. He did that with everything else, but he created us with the choice to love him and he And he works that choice by loving us first. Now, of course, in the world we live in today, (laughs) the problem is we don't, our definition of love doesn't work. Because in our world, love is telling people what they want to hear, not telling them truth. If you tell them truth, that's hate. That's our world. You know it's true. It doesn't matter how kindly you tell somebody the truth. If that's not what they want to hear, then you're automatically a person with hate. The problem is, if the Lord Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh... And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth then becomes absolute. And of course, I, you can hear it. Okay, there are no absolutes. You know, I feel sorry for people that make such ridiculous statements. Because the very statement itself is an absolute. You can't disprove something by, by violating it. Contradicting it. 
You can't prove there are no absolutes by saying there are no absolutes. That's self-contradictory, which makes it invalid, which means what you're believing is not true. I just read to you there are absolutes, at least for some period to come. I read it right off the app, the Sunrise Sunset app. That's pretty absolute, isn't it? No, it doesn't tell us the exact second. It could. Well, you could find the exact second of, of any low point on the planet, the exact second the sun is going to break the horizon if there's no clouds, the exact second you won't see any of the curvature of the sun anymore going down on the other horizon. You can find the exact second. Now, it's not practically necessary because I can make whatever plans I need to make based on knowing essentially the minute it's going down or coming up. But God, God didn't make you and I like that. You woke up this morning when you decided to. Or maybe you wanted to sleep longer and couldn't go back to sleep. Well, that's not God's fault. So here we are. <laughs> here God is. He's created all these beings so that he could show his love and mercy and benevolence to them. Except the problem is, he put a condition on it. And the condition is that we would choose to know him and choose to love him because we choose to believe he's there. Well, where's the facts? (laughs) Yeah, facts. Hey, uh, Years ago, there was a young couple in our church, and they were in a horrible accident. And uh, she was life-flighted to shock trauma. First time I'd ever been to shock trauma to visit a person. And, uh, and I go in, and her dad and mom are standing by the bed. I got there as quick as I could, and um, they told us there was no chance she would live. And over the next couple of days, she developed a, uh, I think it was ARDS, anti-respiratory distress syndrome. She weighed about 110 pounds or maybe 100, and her whole body so swelled up, she looked like she was 210 pounds. And I, I was called, and I rushed back up there, and they said, because they'd been told she was going to die, and I walked in the shock trauma Uh, into her area of shock trauma and I said to the nurse how is she and she looked at me like I was the stupidest person on the face of the earth and she said really unkindly and sarcastically she's dying okay so I walked around over by the bedside now I'm bringing this up because it's a matter of fact I know it's medical records and all that but uh, there are witnesses in this room to this. And I'm standing on one side of the bed and her parents are on the other. And I'm, I'm standing there and I'm, uh, I had my hand on her shoulder and I was just praying. And, and my thoughts were, Lord, what, what can I say to this mother and father, uh, 
when she passes. And I heard this voice in my head that said, only believe and I will show you my glory. I didn't explain what was going on. I just said to the, to the family, I said, um, there's a chapel down a few floors. I'm going to go down there and pray. Well, another brother from the church was there, and he joined me. And then a little while later, the dad joined me, and we prayed. Well, she didn't die. They kept saying she was going to die, but she didn't. And when she didn't die, and they had to face the fact she wasn't going to die, they said, well, she'll never regain consciousness. And she regained consciousness. And they said, well, she will, her, her mind will never work. She later graduated from college. They said, she'll never walk. She walked. They said, she'll never, she'll never have any children. I think it was two or three. How's your facts working now? I didn't do that. I just believe what he said he was going to do. See, here's our problem. (laughs) This is man's standard out. When good stuff happens, man takes all the credit. When bad stuff happens, we put all the blame on God. (laughs) The thing about that that's so amazing I've dealt with so many intelligent people, educated people, that that was their standard operating procedure. Good stuff happens, I did it. Bad stuff happens, it's all God's fault. Well, let's be honest why we're like that. We want to be God. What does he mean by that? We want to be in control. We don't like he's in control. We want to be in control. And when things, when there, when we can't control things, when it looks like we've controlled things and they go the way we want them to, then of course we did it because we're in control. But when things don't go the way we want them to go, it's God's fault. Because he dares to prove to us that we're not gods and that we're not in control. He, who does he think he is proving to me that I'm not in control? Well, <laughs> I was trained to fly airplanes and be in the Navy and be a naval officer, being a pastor's about as different as you can get because as, as an officer you tell somebody to do something they don't do it not good their career could be over and if it's wartime their life could be over I mean one of the most difficult things to accept is you stand on, on June the 5th 68 I stood on the Naval Academy athletic field while I was sworn in as an officer and a gentleman at 22, and there were people in that stadium who were old enough to be my father, but they were enlisted. 
And they had to salute me and call me sir. Not because of me. But by act of Congress and the President of the United States. The signature of the President of the United States. It wasn't me. The shoulder boards that showed what my officer status was. That wasn't about who I was as a person. That was the office I was a part of. Now there are people who confuse the two. But it's still fact. My dad joined the Navy the day after Pearl Harbor at 18. Spent 30 years in the Navy. Worked his way up from a seaman recruit to an 06. And I understood from him that the uniform represented the office, not the man. That all men were the same. The uniform didn't make one better or one worse. Now that's really, that's such a quote unquote orderly world. But when you pastor, (laughs) nobody has to do a thing you say. Nothing. And there's nothing you can do about it. So, (laughs) I pastored here for uh, 35 years. I've been a bishop since then, since uh, December of 05. And, uh, you know, it's not a matter of wanting to be in control. It's wanting to be people saved. And when you see people making decisions that you know what the end result of that's going to be from the Bible and from experience. You, you, you go that direction, this is what's going to happen. Are, are you so smart? No, first of all, I believe the Bible. Second of all, I've watched it happen over and over and over again. And it's sad. You're God. You're eternal. You created all this. You made man where man had to make his own decisions. Making a decision implies thinking. Making a decision implies objective analysis. Making a decision implies you consider all the facts. That's why I said there's not much thinking going on in our world. No. No, science has become the excuse until it doesn't justify what they want. And then science isn't important anymore. It's the way it is. Don't believe somebody that says, well, my position is science. Yeah, but on this other point, you don't believe the science at all. So it's either you either believe science or you don't believe the science. When it's convenient, when it's inconvenient, if you're going to believe the science. Well, do you believe in science? Absolutely. (laughs) Proven science. 
the mid-1800s, there was a pamphlet written by the French Academy of Science. 100 scientific facts that prove the Bible's not true. Today, not one of those 100 scientific facts are still believed to be true. I'm going someplace. I just can't get there in a hurry because if I don't give you a little bit of time to process this, you're just going to shut down on me, those that haven't already. So you're God. You've created all this. And you've done everything you know how. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. Do you believe in climate change? Yes, I do. Because in 2021, I visited Glacier National Park and rode in a tour boat on a beautiful lake there that was about 10 miles long and about, uh, I think, two miles wide. And it was over 2,000 feet deep. And the mountains surrounding it were over... Well, most of them were three to four, five thousand feet. And the tour guide said, this all used to be a glacier. But thousands and thousands of years ago, it melted, formed this lake. Because obviously, there were so many cars and gas stoves in the world then that it caused the temperature to change and melt that glacier. That was so thick. I believe in science. See there? Climate change. Been changing for thousands of years. Got me an electric car. Yes, sir, I do. I'm not recommending you get one. Because I want to be able to outrun you anytime I feel like it. <laughs> the last time I sat in a seat and felt pressed against my seat back, like I do in that when I, there's three selections in it it's standard, sport, and insane. That's what it actually says in the computer. I've done that one time because it's insane. But that one time I tried it on Insane, and I was someplace that it was safe to do so. And I slammed that accelerator down, and it pressed me back in that seat. The only time I've ever felt those kind of G-forces, I was on a carrier being catapulted off it. And I don't recommend it. You don't want to do that. Nah, 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 nah. You, you don't want to do that. That's the same thing if you're coming to the house and my wife cooks a very, very good dessert. And you can look at me and see that I'm very pro-dessert. <laughs> and I, I get a taste of it before company comes. I say to her, look, I love you so much, I don't want you to be embarrassed. 
I'm really recommending that you put this dessert away and not serve it to our guests because you'll be embarrassed. It never works. It doesn't work. But it's worth a try, even though I've tried it so many times. So you're God. And you're trying to appeal to people, beings, that you create in your image. And by doing that, what it means is he gave us the power of choice because he's the only one in existence with the power of choice other than humans. The power of choice. And since he gave us the power of choice, he cannot violate that power of choice. So how does he get our attention? How does he get us to consider this? Um, The blessing of getting old is you can't continue to live in denial. You don't have an un- Limited supply of days left. I'm sorry, hang on a minute here. Wow. That was right there. I won't read it to you. It was something the Lord gave me just a couple of days ago. I haven't posted it yet. Um, huh. Okay. So much for that. I guess you'll have to wait and read it on Facebook. What did God do to get our attention? He did the same thing for everybody. He's no respecter of persons. The two most important days of our lives, we have no control over. We don't control the day we're born. We don't control the day we die. God is infinite. We are finite. What does finite mean? It has a beginning and an ending. God has no beginning. He has no ending. So he helps us to understand the difference between him and us by pointing, pointing out the fact from the beginning that he was, uh, he was here before we got here. He's going to be here after we leave this earth. And, you know, well, you're trying to scare us with death. <laughs> If you need a preacher, 
to get you to be sober about death. I don't have a whole lot of hope for you. I don't mean that unkindly. If you're living in such delusion that you think you're going to live forever here, the only thing I can hope is that somehow God in his love will get your attention. Oh, my. Problem is, we don't know what good news is until we know what the bad news is. We don't know what the good news is until we know what the bad news is. We don't know what love is till we experience what it means to not be loved. And God cannot, will not force himself upon you because that would be violating your will. And he can't violate our wills because he himself restricted himself from violating our wills in this life. He will not force you and I to believe in him, to give ourselves to him. He won't do it. That is up to you and I to make that decision. But again, the word faith or believe in the Greek is, it means to be, to be convinced to the point of trusting. There's a lot of people say, well, you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. No, you don't. No, you don't. If you don't trust God, you don't believe in God. Well, I acknowledge the existence. No, you don't. If you really believe in the existence of God, you would act accordingly. You would make decisions according to that. You're saying I'm a bad person. No, I'm not. I'm saying you're a person. I'm saying you're human. This is the human condition. Because we're made in the image of God, we want to be God. And again, what does that mean? We want to be in control. What does it mean to be in control? We want to make our own decisions. I got one question for you. How's that working out for you? You're in control, making your own decisions. How's that working for you? Now, I, I, I'm not finding fault with anybody, see, because I have I've discovered a great scientific fact, and that is beating your head against the wall is good. You know why? Because it feels so good when you stop. And you can't experience how good it feels to stop beating your head against the wall if you don't beat your head against the wall. And, of course, that's the human condition also, isn't it? Yeah. Preacher, <laughs> you're not telling me what to do. I'm not, I wouldn't dare tell you what to do. Now, I can tell you what the Bible says. I don't have any authority in myself to tell you what to do, but the Bible says, and you leave here, that's between you and him. It's not between you and me. It's what the Bible says. And I can make those choices. 
my plebe summer uh, upperclassman was named Majak. He was from New York State. And he told our squad of plebes, this is the reg book. You don't have to follow it. But it not only tells you what the regulations are, it tells you what the penalties are if you don't do that. And this was his saying, you pay your money, you take your chances. You don't follow the book, you get caught and you get the penalty, you got nobody to blame but you. I could hear him saying that at this moment. You pay your money, you take your chances. You want to make your own decisions? You're, you, you have that authority and power right here, right now. It, God gave it to you. And you will have that until the moment it's time for you to die. Because again, the scripture I read says no man has the power to retain the spirit in death. So you can make your own decisions and until it's time for your life to leave your body. And then you have no power over that. Whether that is a few minutes, a few hours, a few days, a few weeks, a few months, a few years, a few decades... Or a lot of decades. My mother-in-law sitting here. She's 93. I'm so happy for her. Because it makes me feel young at 77. And she's going strong. Drives herself where she wants to go. Lives on her own. Because she would have it no other way. <laughs> It's okay to smile. It's okay. It's all right. So what about you? See, here's the thing about faith that's so practical. There's a difference between helplessness and hopelessness. In fact, I never understood that difference for decades. I learned it through pain. I learned that the more the situation put me in a place of helplessness, I was only hopeless if I was still trusting me. But helplessness... Which causes me to look at myself and realize, hey, buddy, you're no God. You're not all wise, all knowing, and all powerful, and omnipresent. You're not any of those things. So your helplessness has caused you to acknowledge that. And if you acknowledge it, the other thing that's available for you to acknowledge is, wait a second, there's somebody... That loves me enough. They don't want me to be hopeless. In my helplessness. Now. I'm, I'm going to say this. Say this because I know this. After 55 years of preaching. I know this. When God talks like this. I love it when I'm someplace. I don't really know a lot of the people. Because I, you can't accuse me of talking to you. 
I don't know you. He does. I don't. So when he's saying stuff like this, I'm going, okay, Lord. I don't know who you're talking to, but you are talking to somebody. Now, whether or not that person knows he's talking to them or is willing to acknowledge he's talking to them, that's another thing altogether. That's not between me and them. That's between him and them. Our, uh, the, the man that was the, uh, was over our, uh, or church organization when we came to Maryland, uh, was six months younger than my dad. And he is about to turn 90, 100 next month. And, uh, no, August. This is still June, isn't it? Yep. And, uh, we had a funeral for his 75-year-old son in February. And he and I have been close for many, many years. He said to me, Brother Wright, I, I just never dreamed that I would outlive my only son. Yeah, well, yeah. He said, it just doesn't seem right. For a parent to bury their child. And of course. He was my friend. And I was. Wanting to. Comfort him and be there for him. But I didn't say. Uh, Brother McIntyre. You're. You're 99. The chances of burying your son. Went up significantly. Because you kept living. I mean, he didn't bury him at 50. Buried him at 75. And sitting here in this congregation, people that I've known a long time. I know some folks here that we buried their stillborn. A couple of places over on Forest Drive at the cemetery there. In the baby place. They were stillborn. One of them they gave the child a first name. And the tombstone says their first and last name. The second one is just baby with the last name. There's folks sitting here that have a child that's lived barely over two months. And then. There's my friend, Brother McIntyre, who's 99, almost 100. <laughs> See, that's our problem. We want it scheduled. We want to know exactly when it is. We want to know when it's going to be because if we knew we were dying tomorrow, we would make different decisions today. But since he won't tell us when that end is, for the purpose of proving that we're finite and not infinite like him. Since he won't tell us when that last day is. You pay your money. You take your chances. You want to play God? You're taking the chance of having to be God to save you if you miscalculate. Your ending. 
Well, that's not, I, that's not fair. I don't like that. There's <laughs> a slight problem. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you like it or not. You have no control over it. No control over it. My dad served 39 straight months in the South Pacific. He came home in April of 45. Two weeks later, he married my mother. Nine months and two weeks later, I was born. So needless to say, I've been a student of World War II for years, not because I'm morbid, but because it totally changed my life. Because without that war, if my dad would have stayed home and become his, being the eldest son, he would have taken over the farm. I would have been born and raised in a completely different situation than I was. And uh, off and on, I have gone back and read books or series of books about the Battle of Britain. Started on the 10th of, uh, officially, they dated starting the 10th of July of 1940 and went through October 31st of 40 approximately four plus months that determined the fate of the known world at the time it was only for the purpose of surviving uh, with the Nazis I didn't say the Germans the Nazis attacking England by air and they had a massive, massive air force, the Luftwaffe. And uh, Great Britain had uh, limited supply of planes and an even more limited supply of pilots. And the purpose of the attacks by Germany was to destroy their harbors and destroy their aircraft so they could have air superiority and invade the U.K., and once they invaded the U.K., then they would have been able to use almost all of those troops on the eastern front against Russia. But because they could not accomplish that, they had to divide their forces, and they fought a two-front war, which essentially guaranteed that Germany was going to lose because they had no chance against Russia fighting a two-front war. And the thing that's, that never ceases to amaze me, and I'm not morbid, it's not about the flying or the fighting. It's about the men and women who who were, there was about at most 3,000 pilots that the fate of the free world depended on. And once you were 30, you were too old to fly. So almost all of the people that fought and flew and fought and died were in their early 20s or late teens against odds that were, you know, you send up 20, 30 of your planes to attack a formation of 60 to 120 bombers with 60 to 120 fighters as their cover. And you you had no hope of beating them. You just had, the only thing you could do is not let them win. And, and just reading about the thought process and the difficulty of, of dealing with that stress every day. Uh, that some of those squadrons in the, in the worst of it flew 
five, six, seven sorties a day. Knowing that on any one of them, it was highly likely being so outnumbered that they would ever come back. What causes men to be willing to do that? What causes young people that have the whole, their whole lives ahead of them to climb into a cockpit and face those kind of odds? Not because they thought they were gods, but because their existence as a nation, as a people, depended on it. But what if uh, the real story is, what if it's my existence, your existence is dependent upon life or death? I've lived beyond the expectation of most people. I have one son that's 51, another that's 42. I have a granddaughter who is 26 and expecting. My youngest grandchild is 11. They are facing a world unlike anything I grew up in. I never feared what was going to happen to me because I went to church. This is the United States of America. People may not agree with what you believe, but you're not automatically a bad person because you go to church and believe the Bible. And unless you are absolutely so willingly blind, you're not paying attention to anything and not listening to anybody. That's changing in our country. That's changing. I mean, technically, whether you want to be a part of this or not, you're guilty by association just sitting in here. Why doesn't God do something about that? No. No, he's not. He said in his word in very vivid detail that in this day and time, men were going to come against believers. He said there would be a time that they would actually believe they were doing God a a service by eliminating you. You know, preacher, I came here to feel better today. I'm sorry. I'm a lot more concerned about you feeling better for eternity than I am about you feeling good today. And I'm not preaching to you about church membership or coming to this church. This may be the last time you ever come here. So be it. This isn't about you and this church. This is about you and God. You don't have to come to this church to make peace between you and God. Never believe that. It's never been preached from this pulpit or any other pulpit association with Antioch. 
But you need to go someplace where you can hear the truth. Not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. And I know the pastors of our three congregations well. And I promise you, while they may, be, may do what they do with a little more finesse than me, they're going to tell you the truth. Not the truth as we see it, but the truth as the Word says it. And who is the Word talking about? This infinite God. Now, I look at all these beautiful young people. And like I said, I have seven grandchildren between 26 and 11. My humanity would be thrilled to death if they could have a normal life and live out their life and produce more great-grandchildren for me. I'd love to see them be able to do that from a human perspective. But to believe that's going to happen, I have to deny the Bible. I have to deny what I've read in it for years. I had an unfair, I have an unfair advantage because I spent four years with people trying to destroy my faith. They used every possible means to do that. My first year, <laughs> I'm sitting at evening meal and uh, the upperclassman said, he, I, I was so naive. He, he said, right, what does this mean? And he told me the word and I'd never heard it before. He said, I said, I'll find out, sir, because you never say I don't know. If you don't know, you say I'll find out. And so the next evening, he said, right, what's your report on? And I said, sir, I respectfully decline to discuss that. I was raised to participate in those things, and I'm not going to give a report. It would have been a lot easier on me if I would have just told him what it was. This doesn't mean I was going to participate in it. But I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I knew what the outcome was going to be. It was months of in-my-face persecution. And they would tag team me because there was a lot more of them than me. I remember <laughs> I was standing in the passageway one day. And the middle linebacker of the of the football team, who was a junior, a second classman in my company, he had his finger going like this, right? We broke everybody else. We're going to break you too. And about that time, there was a guy walked behind him who was between the year between him and me, and uh, he and he, I don't know how he knew he was back there. He never turned his head. See him when he got here. He believed just like you, and we changed him and we're going to change you I'll tell you right now that's one of the greatest things anybody's ever done for me in my life because something rose up in me and said oh no you're not it doesn't matter to me what the price is oh no you're not 
Now, most of you have never been in a position where you had to stand for something regardless of the cost. I was blessed to be in that position. I was. Blessed. Junior year. <laughs> the last night before we leave for Christmas leave, we have a company party. And all four classes have representatives and groups of guys in the company from those four classes. And they would, each class would do a skit to, for entertainment. And I'm sitting there. And all four skits, including my classmate's skit, was about me. Making fun of my faith. And I knew this is a test. I had to be careful how I reacted because they were looking for an excuse to deny the validity of my faith. And I couldn't afford to give them one. So I sat there and didn't storm, storm off. And when there was some stuff they did, it was pretty funny. And I laughed with everybody else because it was funny. Because what I sat there and the Lord was so kind to let me see, this is the impact you're making without even trying to make it. Just being you, just believing what you're believing. I wasn't in people's face. I never talked to anybody who didn't come to ask me questions. I didn't go around getting in people's face. But you ask, you're getting it. I'm going to tell you exactly what I believe. So, I sat there, smiled, and when we finally broke up, they were all checking to see how I was doing. And some of them were really disappointed that what I have appears to be real enough to take what they were dishing out. And not have a bad attitude. But some of you precious folks. You've never been in a place. Where you had to stand against friends and families. Who didn't want you to be who you were. They didn't want you to stand. For what you were standing for. Now. I didn't do that. No, I'm not a hero. It hurt. But someone was there to give me peace and strength to stand. I didn't fully understand all that then. But I knew I wasn't sitting there by myself. On the morning of February the 18th, 2003, at the conclusion of three days of snow, I was driven up to the post office because all the roads were crammed. The snow was to my waist here, Maryland. And we walked up the hill, Old Frederick Road, and came up here and saw that that building, that side of the building was on the ground. 
one of absolutely the most difficult days, weeks, months, years of my life. But I was never alone. I never had to do this by myself. Or in November of 2013, when I sat with my wife with the surgeon, and the surgeon said to my wife that you've got cancer, which was the third time. The first time she had cancer, we prayed, and the Lord took it away. It was there. When they took the first test, second test, there was nothing there. Second time she had the cancer, the Lord told her how she was going to handle it. We argued with the doctor five months before he agreed to do it our way. He, we finally had to sign a piece of paper absolving him of all responsibility if he did what we said, what she said. And what God told her was the way to do it is what we was done, and God took care of it. But this third time, we both knew this was going to be different. We knew God wasn't going to heal her. It wasn't his will. Every time they did tests, November and December, I think it was three different sessions of tests, prognosis was worse finally the oncologist said to us middle of December uh, the, the cancer is growing so rapidly we can't do surgery it won't work we have to do chemo first to hopefully shrink the tumors so that the surgery will work There's the other half of me. We did four months of chemo. I went to every appointment with a doctor. I went to every session of chemo. Finally, in May, they did surgery. 13 hours. I didn't leave her room until she was able to go home, which was about three, four days. Not one time, I can't explain this to you. This is what I know. This is what he did. I knew we were not allowed to ask him to heal her. So we prayed every day. Something along this line. Father, we know. That you love us. And we know you're in charge. You're in control. That you've got this. You knew about this before we did. And you know what the outcome of this is going to be right now. And we trust you. Whatever you decide. Whatever you allow this to be. That's what it's going to be. But we trust you. Because we did not battle the cancer. In our prayer, we battled fear. We had to defeat fear. 
You can't trust God if you've got fear. We believe he loved us. We believe he hadn't promised us we would live forever here. And so, therefore, whatever his choice was, we trusted him because he's proven his love over and over and over and over and over and over again. And so, two days after the surgery, the surgeon came in and said, well, this is right. We've done the pathology on all the tissue that we removed we couldn't find any cancer. You go, wait, 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 wait a minute. There was no cancer there when you did the surgery? Why didn't God tell us there was no cancer? She wouldn't have had the surgery. It wasn't his plan. Well, that doesn't seem, no, no. We trust our Father. God's good. He's gracious. He's kind. He's loving. We trust him. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for each person that you have put under the sound of my voice. Whether anyone here knows it other than you and I, I know where every word of this has come from. That you, out of love, are speaking to those that will hear. Those that have ears to hear, let them hear what your spirit is saying to the church and to them personally. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, let your word be seed that germinates into faith and then producing fruit to your glory and to our benefit in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, praise God. If you just, for one moment, just bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody's going to come bother you. Nobody's going to come and talk to you. I'm only doing this, asking you to do this out of respect for those around you. But if you're here, for whatever the reason you're here, why ever you think you walk through these doors today, I know with everything in me that God sent you here to hear this. The pastor could have preached this, but God didn't choose for him to. The Lord sent him away for a few days with his family. Arranged for me to be here. It wasn't automatic that I would be here. I had the right to choose to be the one to preach or let someone else do it. And there's plenty of other very capable people in this room. But you're here. And I am confident in God that every word that I've said today he gave me to say to you and you may not react to those words today I hope you do you may not react to them you may not respond to them today I hope you do 
But if these words are just words of men, words of a man, you won't remember them hardly by the time you're home. But if these are not words of a man, but if God was the one actually doing the talking, you won't forget what's said today. You won't be able to get away with it, get away from it. You're going to hear these words in your mind and your spirit for a long time. And again, this isn't about whether or not you choose to come to this church. It's not about whether or not this is your church home or you choose to make this your church home. None of that is is what this is about. This is about your loving Father who loves you enough to speak to you very directly, saying things that are almost, if not verbatim, of things you've thought or personally said. And He responded to what you thought and said. And there's no way I could have known what you thought or said, but He did because He was there. He heard it. He heard the thoughts of your heart that you didn't even bring yourself to say because you just couldn't afford to say them. You couldn't do it. There are some very sweet and loving and kind people here today that would be thrilled to death just to have the opportunity just to pray with you a moment. This isn't making you saved. This isn't making you a member of this church. It's just us having the opportunity to love you a moment. Let you know you're not in this alone. That we understand where you are. We've been there. Done that. God in his love and mercy has brought us from out of that, through that. And he's no respecter of persons. And he'll do the same for you. That's all we're asking for. If you will permit, is the opportunity to pray with you. If you'd like for someone to just pray with you a moment. Just, uh, I'm, I've never done it like this before. It's what I feel to do. Just heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Just raise your hand and I'll have someone come and pray with you. Jesus' name. You guys see where this is and go. Please take somebody with you. Please keep your hand up. Someone is coming. In the name of Jesus, the Lord loves you. The Lord loves you. But he will not force himself on you. He will not force himself on you. You have to open yourself to his love and to accept his invitation. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Etie kolarata bahaya tamasiki ekutienai. You don't have to have someone pray with you, but you're welcome to sit in this atmosphere and pray. Normally, we would just greet and talk to everybody as the service is being led up, but I don't feel to do that right this second. If you need to leave, you're welcome to go, but there are people here that they're doing business with Jesus, between them and Jesus, and I don't want them disturbed, so... 
We're just going to give this a few moments. If you stay around, we'll be happy to shake your hand and let you know how happy we are that you're here. But right now, we're praying. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. chooses you but you have to choose him back he will not violate your will he chooses you but you have to choose him back in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus the name of Jesus. I'll choose you again and again. I'll choose you again and again. You mean so much to me. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Service tonight is at 6 o'clock. Hopefully we'll see you then. God bless you. to me.